Amen. You can grab a seat. Merry Christmas, Vintage. All right, all three of you, Merry Christmas. The rest of you, I don't know what you're doing here, but it is a good day to gather. Now, no lying, you're in church. Anyone not done with their Christmas shopping yet? One brave soul. You saw your wife's look, right? You saw that? Target's open till eight, but I just want you all to know, like, this is the safe space. No shame here. Partly because 10 years ago, our first Christmas in El Dorado Hills, Jen and I were part of planting the church here at Vintage Grace. We had a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and we had a baby girl born earlier a couple months before. And how many of you guys ever feel like you have your life together, but then you just realize you don't? Anybody? Okay, thank you for being honest, right? Again, safe space. But I'll never forget waking up that Christmas Eve morning. The church hadn't launched yet, but we were still hosting our first service at Marina Middle School. Maybe you were there in the OGVG days, but I still remember vividly kind of looking at each other in bed. We thought we were good. And I remember just saying, hey, what'd I get you for Christmas this year? Right? I don't know how your marriage works, but she was helping me out. And we kind of went through the list of what do we get the in-laws and the outlaws, and what do we get our daughter? And then I got to the point where we were talking about what did we get our boys? You know, four and seven, these really impressionable ages, Christmas morning, and dad is totally distracted with work. And so we got into problem solving. Like Christmas, the joy of Christmas morning was on the line, people. Like this was a big deal. We had forgotten to get our boys Christmas presents. And it'd be a great story if it was a joke, but it was real. And so we got after it and we got hustling. It's not too late again. You are safe here, Ethan Vavak. But the truth of the matter is we were pursuing the joy of the receiver of the gift. Like we wanted more than anything for them to get that perfect gift. And again, we only had a couple hours, so we got after it. This is why as a, as a society, we spend so much time between Black Friday and today shopping. And it is still today. It is still before Christmas. So we're hustling and we're moving and we're looking for that perfect gift. Why? Because we're hoping Christmas morning when the kids sit with you around the tree, you get that look. You know that look is dad that you're like, I nailed it. And by I, I mean you, babe, you nailed it. We got this. And yet here I am years later, literally 10 years later. And you think I would have learned by now that that joy of that moment fades so quick, doesn't it? that there actually is no perfect gift. And yet the reality is we continue to be consumed, searching, looking, shopping, pursuing, buying. See, I actually believe that every one of us today is on a quest for joy, every one of us. Every one of us is hunting for our happiness. In fact, a, a member of our team shared with me, there's a whole industry called the happiness industry. He was reading, it is a $23.32 trillion industry in America. Like that's crazy, people. The amount of money that we spend pursuing our happiness for that one thing that we think will make us happy. Like, have you guys heard of self-driving cars? Do you trust them? Please don't. Like the innovation, the time, the treasure, the talent that we are pursuing, things that will make us happy. I I used to be on a kick a long time ago. I did something called CrossFit. You guys know what that is? Today I'm really good at CrossFat. I'm patenting it all by myself. But again, the, the health craze, like it's trending all over like ice baths. People pay money to sit into ice baths. I don't know about you, but I used to think we pay money to have warm baths, right? Or wheatgrass. You buy wheatgrass to taste that on purpose. Or there's all these sleep trends, right? If we could only have the right bed, sleep number's promising us 28 more minutes of sleep a day, right? Like, or, or actually, someone puts this on their face, and if that's you, again, it's a safe place, no shame, but red light therapy, like, I don't know about you, but I want lasers out of my body, not in my body. 
And yet this is the world we live in because we're looking for that moment. We're looking for that moment where it just feels like we nailed it. It's perfect. We've arrived. Maybe it's Christmas dinner. Some of you all like you eat to live. I definitely live to eat. I love food. It is good. And everybody said, remember, if you're new here, amen just means I agree pastor or I'm not asleep this early in the service. I'll take both. Here's the truth of the matter. Other than Christmas Eve service, trying to get your kids to come to church, I'm fairly convinced Christmas dinner might be the easiest time to fight as a family. Like you were supposed to put the roast in, you were on potatoes, dinner's not done on time because I got hangry teenagers, right? Like this is the world we live in, but when will we finally be satisfied? When will enough be enough? When will we finally find the thing and the place and the space where we have finally found the happiness that every one of us is chasing. I mean, it is the most wonderful time of the year. It is the time that they have branded it and they tell us it's about our circumstances and our stuff. So I want you to pause tonight. You're not in a hurry, at least now. You'll be in a hurry later, but now you're not in a hurry. What is it that you asked for for Christmas? Will it actually make you happy? Will it actually satisfy you on your quest for joy? Because I'm known as one of the pastors here to say regularly from this stage that as your pastor, I actually want you happier tomorrow than you are today. I think that's God's design. I think he designed us to find our greatest joy in him. I think that's what Christmas is really about. That first Christmas was a quest for joy. It was a quest for Mary and Joseph to find acceptance, satisfaction, It was a quest for the world to have an expectant hope for this baby born in a manger, this census that drew them on this long journey and this long quest for joy. But Christmas tells us that joy has come. But here's my fear. Most of us have missed it. But few of us, few of us have heard. Few of us have received. And so I want to zoom in on three of the people that I think actually saw. You've heard of the three wise men, anybody? Now, three of you. I'll take it, guys. But, but in the three wise men, I don't mean to blow up your whole nativity scene. If you've got one at home, I think they're wonderful, they're beautiful, but I don't think there were three of them. Magi often would travel as a group of 12. We say three because there's three gifts that they bring. In fact, we, we call them that they, that they were magi or they were wise men. Or have you heard the we three kings of Orient are? Again, part of where all this comes from is, is the history and the tradition is, is they were magi. It's the same word that actually gets used in the Old Testament where Daniel, these were God-fearing men that were looking for signs of the newborn king, of the Messiah that was going to come and be the hope of the world. And so there's this group of people from far east. Again, I know that we often have them with camels. They probably had Arabian horses if they were coming from Arabia. They, they probably didn't have camels. So again, keep your manger scene, please. It was great, great grandmas. Don't throw it away. But here's whatever you think of the three magi, the three kings, the three wise men, whatever you think of them, please hear me. I think they found the answer to their joy quest. I think they found Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. If I was to summarize our verses today, it would simply be this. Jesus is the joy we're searching for. He's the only answer to our great question, which is what will satisfy us today. And so today we're going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. And so spirit of the living God, would you speak? We're all here today on a quest, searching for our joy. Would we learn from the Magi who have found it in you? Would we see you? Would we find our joy in you? Spirit, maybe more than anything, would we just be found by you today, we pray. And everybody said, amen. So the Magi, like they really believe 
that this baby that's born a far distance away is gonna make them happy. Here's what the verses say. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? Now, I tried to highlight all the different characters here. And so you've got King Herod. We'll start there. King Herod was kind of like a puppet king for the Roman Empire. He oversaw a region, but he was almost like a self-proclaimed king, and, and they gave him some authority. Have you ever thought that you were in control in your life, but you didn't really have control? Any, anyone married out there or have children, right? Like, that's Herod. Herod thinks he's in control. He thinks he's in charge. And these really respectable, wise men, this group of magi, show up. They're astrologers. They come from the far east, the text tells us. And again, commentators wrestle with how far is it? Somewhere between 900 and 1,100 miles, which for me is far, especially if you don't have a self-driving car, right? Even with the Arabian horses, this is a far journey. I often tell my kids when they collect things, like it's so valuable. I'm like, it's only worth what someone's willing to give you and how far they would travel for it. It's not worth anything if your belief doesn't lead you to action, And yet the Magi's belief in this king that they didn't know, they've heard about, they've studied, but the belief that this king could make them happy is what leads them to take this long journey. Now, as they get there, they get very close to Bethlehem where baby Jesus was born. And so they go to King Herod, who was only about three miles away, and they say, hey, have you heard of the newborn king? Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I think about asking a king if there's a better king in the picture, that might tick off the current king. Why? Because every self-made man, every self-made king, I believe is insecure. And so these magi come to king and they say this question, where is he who was born, the king of the Jews? Why? See, I really believe this, that the depth of your why, how much you believe something to be true will determine the length of your what. Their why was strong. They traveled literally almost a thousand miles because they believed something about this Jesus. They believed that he was worthy of worship. For we saw his star, the verse says, when it rose, and we've come to worship him. There's this power that we even think about at Christmas of seeing and believing. Their belief led them to action and their belief in the newborn king, and they came to see him. They came to see if he was worthy of worship. Now, here's one of my concerns for that word. I'm talking as a pastor. We usually only use the word worship when we talk about church, God, and usually singing. That's actually not very helpful because I don't think that is limited to the word worship. The word worship literally means worth-ship, to send, to send value, to ascribe value. In fact, we regularly at church use this stool as a metaphor for the throne of our heart. We use the metaphor because what we're saying is every one of us was designed and created with a throne inside of our heart with vacancy for one. I think God designed it. He designed it for him to sit there. But worship are the things that actually creep onto the throne of our heart. They're the things that we worship. They're the things that we find identity in. They're the things that we ascribe value to. How do you know what you worship? Well, what do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? What do you do? And so the Magi are here today to say, wait a second, could this Jesus be worth everything? Could he be better than retail therapy? Could he be better than red laser therapy? Could he be better than my spouse and my house and my kids and my vacation? It's not that those are bad things. All those things bring an element of joy and happiness, but there's limitation to every single one of them. Could Jesus, this newborn king, be worthy of the throne of my heart? And so as they're asking this question, we've come to worship, we've come to ascribe value. What they don't know what they've done to Herod, insecure king, is that they've set off all these alarm bells in his head. Here's what verse three says. Herod, the king, heard this and he was troubled. 
was troubled in his heart. Why? Because he sat on the throne of his heart. And every king that sits on the throne of his heart is protective of that. And so he's troubled. And so he gathers his priests and his scribes and his people. And he acquired of them, where was this Jesus, the son, the Christ to be born? And so these men who had studied the Old Testament, they said, actually, this comes from a prophecy back in Micah chapter five, verse two. This prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus is born. It's one of 300 Old Testament prophecies. Why does God speak through prophecies? Because every detail matters. Way too often in our culture, we say like, oh, that was, that, that, that was unique, that was random. There is no random when there's a sovereign God. There's just details that God sometimes chooses to stay anonymous for. I can imagine Mary and Joseph traveling on this long journey because the census of the Roman government. Has anyone ever complained about the government in their life, right? And they're on this journey, they're complaining, and yet God says, I have a plan. There's a detail. This is a prophecy that was given 700 years before so that my people wouldn't miss it. And so these scribes, these priests, they tell Herod, they say, actually, this is the newborn king. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, which is just a short distance away and so as a result of that, we see Herod summon the wise men secretly and ascertain from them. So, hey, what, what time did the star appear? Where are you going? I'm just curious because I'm going to send you to Bethlehem. Go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too might come and worship him. Now, that's a lie. It's not true. If you read the rest of the story, you see that Herod actually goes on to kill all babies two and under. Why? Because he's protective of the throne of his heart. That's why. Because let's be honest, the things and the people that sit on the throne of our heart is typically me, myself, and I. That in the beginning, God designed this seat in you and I to be in relationship with him. It was for him. But in the garden, Adam and Eve, you and me, Herod, and really everybody in between has rejected God's lordship of our life. Every one of us. And so Herod is, is protective. Herod is saying, wait, wait, wait. Could he be worthy of worship? If Jesus is the king, then you know what that means? I'm not. So Herod, that really kind of ticks him off. He's like, what do you mean? Could Jesus be worthy of worship? Could Jesus actually be worth me getting off the throne of my heart? I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, I used to ask questions like, well, if I'm gonna be a Christian, what's it gonna cost me? What do I have to give up? That's what Herod's asking. What do I have to give up to get off the throne of my heart? What do I have to give up? It's gonna change everything. It's gonna limit what I do and what I spend money on, but I know what makes me happy. I make my own Christmas list, right? I know that I want to be the king, and so I don't wanna lose money or fame or partying or escapism or success. And please don't miss this. There is a cost to following Jesus. And so Herod got that. The cost was he had to get off the throne of his heart, and yet he missed it. I think he had a scarcity mindset focused on what he lost if he followed Jesus, whereas the Magi, I think the Magi focused on what they gained. They were joyfully willing to get off the throne of the heart. They were joyfully willing to give their time, their talent, their treasure. Why? Because Jesus was worth it. So after listening to the king, the magi go. They went on their way. Behold, they saw the star and they saw where it arose from before them. And they came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Does that feel like awkward sentence structure to anybody else? I didn't do well in English. But do we say like, I rejoiced with joy? No, you just say, I rejoiced or I had Joy. What does that look like for me? For me, it looks like when Steph Curry hits the three, and that doesn't happen very often anymore. So again, as a Warriors fan, it's hard for me. But he hits the three, and I get up off the couch, and I, I run across the living room, and I chest bump my kid, and I'm a little bigger than them. I cross that. I mean, Hathaway, you know what that feels like when you get chest bumped, right? Like, you get sent. It's this out-of-body experience. You see someone or something that's worthy of ascribing value to. He's worthy 
of all of our worship. The Magi say he's worthy of all of our praise, of all of our time and our talent and our treasure. In fact, he explains that going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped. Don't miss this first Christmas morning. Now, I don't know when this took place, somewhere between zero and two years. We don't know for sure, but that morning for them when they met baby Jesus, when they saw him, he was worthy of worship. And so they bow. These are magi. These are respected men. These are men that get down on their knees and say, you alone are worthy of my heart, the throne of my heart. You are worthy of all of my treasure. And so they literally give them these three gifts. They give them gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, we don't have time to parse all those gifts, but they are very intentional. Why? Because every detail matters in the kingdom of God. Gold, because it was designed and only worth a king. Frankincense was, was this, this fragrance that was used as an intermediary between God and man in, in moments of worship. And then myrrh. Myrrh is a very unique gift to give to a baby, mainly because it's a sign of sacrifice and suffering. But see, all these gifts, I don't even know if the wise men knew the quality and the, what the meaning of all the gifts were because myrrh is also used in first century for healing, which is what Jesus came for. He came to give us healing. He came to give us hope. He actually came to lay down his life to give of himself so that we might become a son and a daughter of the king. And so with these three gifts, they're actually foreshadowings of the promises that Jesus is gonna fulfill with his life. They're also gifts that, of course, the family gets to use. I mean, they're refugees at this point. They're scattered. And so these are gifts that provide provision, but they also provide the picture of the promises of all the prophecies that Jesus fulfills. That Jesus is later in his life given a different kind of a kingly gift. He's given a crown, but not one of gold. That's actually a crown of thorns. In fact, early Christendom would often celebrate the crown of thorns in the context of red holly berries. Why? Because the red berries were a sign of the blood that Jesus shed. See, he goes on to live the perfect life that I do not live. He goes on to die the heinous death that I deserve to die when I rejected God, knocked him off the throne of my heart. And yet three days later, he resurrects and the tomb is empty. We can't forget that, that at Christmas, Easter is coming. And so there's this picture of the newborn king that is worthy of our praise that has died in our place and raised again. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about him at his birthday party. And so as we think about this text, here's how it ends in verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. See, I only see in the text two ways to respond to Jesus at Christmas. There's Herod who seeks to kill and get rid of him and cast them aside and say, you're an inconvenience to the throne of my heart. Or there's the Magi who get off the throne of their heart and they worship him because he's worthy. And so I wanna pause this Christmas and give you a moment to think about what you've asked for. I think about what you've received in the world. I think about what you would receive from Christ if you accept the offer that Jesus gives you at Christmas. So there's three things that I want nothing more for you than to receive this Christmas. The first one is this, freedom from your past. Now, again, I promise you, my life is way too busy to stalk you on Facebook, so I don't actually know your past. But in a room this size, I know it's full of shame. I know it's full of settling for lesser joys. It's full of adultery and affairs. It's full of cheating and lying. It's full of just flat out rejecting Jesus as Lord. Because the truth of the matter is that wasn't just a Herod thing. That's a me thing. That's a you thing. That's a we thing. It's humanity's condition that we've all rejected Jesus as King. And so I want to invite you to receive freedom from your past. Whatever it is that you've covered up that you don't want anybody to know, he knows. 
And yet the good news of Christmas is Emmanuel, God, with us. The good news of Christmas is that he comes towards you like you're not here today because your mother-in-law drug you here. I mean, she may have, but there's more to the story. There's more happening in your life, and it's Jesus' pursuit of you. It's his pursuit of you to give you freedom that will set you free from all the sin that so easily entangles us, that'll set us free from all the rejection of him that will give us forgiveness, and not just forgiveness, but redemption. So one of my fears at Christmas is we get ourselves all dressed up for our family photos. And that's good, by the way. It's the only time of the year I get family photos, this and Easter. We get all dressed up, but here's my fear that we forget that Jesus, who could have come with all the pomp and circumstance, that the king comes on a manger throne highly accessible, fully available for you, not for people that get themselves all dressed up for him. Way too often people say, well, I gotta, I gotta get my life together and then I'll be ready to, to hang out with Jesus. No, 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 you will never get your life ready. Only he can. He's allowed you to run away from him and let your life fall apart so that you would meet him. So you would go on your quest for joy and never be satisfied. And so today I wanna offer you in Christ freedom from your past. I wanna offer you peace in your present. Jimmy said it well, Jimmy's a good friend and, and so was Bryce. Jimmy said it well, that you're either coming out of a trial, you're in the middle of a trial right now, a gap in your life, and maybe you're like, well, that's not me, praise God. Or the truth matters, then you're just getting ready to go into a trial tomorrow. One of those three things is true. Coming out in or, or going into one. And so please hear me as a church, when we say that our number one value is there's more joy in Jesus than anything or anyone else, that doesn't mean that our marriages are perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't have gaps or trials. I often say the moment your marriage was compromised was the moment you said, I do, because you joined it, because we're broken. It's not that our church doesn't have battles with cancer. This year, two amazing 37-year-old moms we said goodbye to so long for now. But they're with Jesus right now. It's not that we don't have families that have kids that get cancer that say goodbye to their babies or bury their brides. Please hear me. Gaps are real. They are real for every single one of us. But in Christ, I believe there is a peace in your presence. There's a peace because he's with you, because he's for you. There's a peace because you don't know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. There's a victory that's already been assured. It's already been given to you. It's been given to you in the person of Christ and his life for your life, and his death for your death, and his resurrection for your resurrection. There is a victory. Church, we know the final score. And this is the gift of Christmas. This is the gift that he offers us at Christmas. And so today, I want to invite you to pause for a moment and to receive that gift. I want to invite you to grab your candle, and it's one of my favorite parts, but would you pause and say, could Jesus be the answer to my quest for joy? On the silent night, I pray that the Spirit screams at you the gift of grace that he offers you. So I invite you to stand for this song. I'm gonna have Jen come forward and, and help me pass the light. And as your neighbor comes to you, would you share that light with others? But would we all tonight receive Christ the King in his manger throne? Let's sing.